1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. This is John Breach, and that's because I have kicked Will Brinson to the curb for today's episode in the next part of our All 32 series, which will be giving you two pods today here on June 9th. One of those podcasts will be an NFC North team. You will have to check your uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts to find out which team. It's a mystery team. That's the fun of this. And the other one is the one I am hosting right now, an AFC North team. Uh, and to be clear, Brinson has a day off because the AFC North team is the Bengals and no one wants to hear him spend an entire podcast talk about how Andy Dalton never won a playoff game. So you have me. And with that in mind, I brought someone way better to talk Bengals football. And that someone is my dad, uh, Jim Breach. With Father's Day right around the corner, he made the most sense. And he also made the most sense. Because he's the Bengals all time leading scorer. I'm sure most of the listeners know that, but a few of you, uh, might not, might be wondering why we always make these Jim Breach references randomly on the podcast. Uh, my dad still lives in Cincinnati. He follows the team closely, so he is a great person to talk to for this. Dad, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great, John. It's great to be on today. Uh, excited. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to play a little golf on Father's Day as we do every year, uh, when we, when we can get all the boys together, but, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh I love talking Bengals football.
1: Yeah, and, and it's funny you mentioned Father's Day because th- the weird thing is most of everyone knows we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I haven't really seen my dad. And also, I just had a kid in April. I have a baby. So he has a new granddaughter. He hasn't even met because we still have, uh, you know, this pandemic situation to figure out. So sorry, Dad, you just have to deal with pictures because that's perfect all we timing, have have. though.
2: Perfect timing for Father's Day to get it. You get her a few months before Father's Day. You get to practice a little bit. It's looking
1: good, huh? Uh, I mean, so far. I'm not getting any sleep. You didn't warn me about the sleep. <laughs> no sleep. Can you see the bags of my eyes? It's getting it's getting ugly. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's jump right into the Bengals. And, and we're going to go with, you know, they've had a few major headlines this offseason. And let's start out before the draft. Let's start with Andy Dalton. They got rid of Andy Dalton. How did you feel about the way... They handled this situation. They ended up cutting him. You know, obviously there wasn't much of a trade market for him. Uh, you know, but what were your thoughts on just seeing him leave after nine years and, and then how it ended? Because it didn't seem like Dalton was thrilled that the Bengals held on to him as long as they did. Well, I think
2: there's a couple of things. You go back to midseason last year where, when they obviously were struggling and people wanted them to to move him at midseason. And I, I, a couple of thoughts on that were that. One, you, you get a quarterback going to another team trying to pick up a system midway through the year. That's really difficult. And two, the Bengals, he was their insurance policy. You know, they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna send him anywhere because Ryan Finley obviously struggled in those three games. They were able to bring Dalton back and he was able to lead him to two victories, uh, by the end of the season. But it, uh, from the very get-go, when they realized what was going well, on everybody knew what was going to happen with Joe Burrow so there was no doubt that they were going to be drafting him early on they they told Andy that they'd try and trade him to into a team hopefully that would be a contender uh but because of what he was owed financially there was just going to be nobody out there i mean why would you do it just wait until it gets released right like he like they did and uh i felt bad for him because they waited so long uh you know, Cam Newton kind of was in the same boat, they waited a long time. And I'm sure they were trying to trade him all along, but there just wasn't any market for him and and so he gets to go home. He gets to go home in uh to Dallas. I I think from it worked out really well for him from that standpoint, and we'll see. We'll see beyond that, uh how it works out there and if he gets a chance to play, Prescott's been you know, he never gets hurt, so and Andy didn't get hurt a lot either. So it's, he may have to spend a lot of time on the bench, but at least he gets to do it back home.
1: Yeah. And for a team that, uh, might go to the playoffs and you know what? Maybe Dak Prescott refuses to sign his franchise tag and all of a sudden Andy Dalton is a starter for the Cowboys. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I'm just stirring the pot. Uh, yeah, you know,
2: yeah, yeah, of course he's going to turn down $31 million, right? <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's, uh, seems like he wants but more than that. Think about this. They could go to the playoffs, win a game. And Andy can be on a winning playoff team, whether he plays or not. And maybe they put him in the game. He can say that Andy Dalton was in a winning playoff game. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope he's a phenomenal guy. He and his family are unbelievable, done so much for the Cincinnati community. I wish him well. I hope he does get a chance to play and, and do some great things. I, I think he's really, really a really good player and uh, crazy things happened. You know, it just didn't work out for him here.
1: Yeah, I think Dalton's dream scenario at this point is Cowboys, Bengals, Super Bowl, Dak gets hurt in the NFC title game, and it's Andy Dalton versus the Bengals, uh, in Super Bowl 55. But, you know, that, that's just, that's maybe that's my personal dream. That's not Dalton's dream. Um, but yeah, and you mentioned trading him during the midseason, how the Bengals kept him on as an insurance policy. And I would have liked to have seen him get a done, a deal done in October. I feel like that's when his value was the highest. And at that point, you know, the season was over. I think they were 0 and 8. At, by the time the trade deadline rolled around, and I know that they did not want to go 0 and 16. That feels like they put, that is why they put Dalton back in is cause, it, you know, the, the, the ownership group is, they're proud. They're, you know, the Browns are proud people and they did not want to see, have that egg on their face of 0 and 16. You don't uh, want
2: to be a trivia answer, right? Along
1: with the Lions and the, and the uh, Browns. Exactly. And you can't have, uh, the whole state of Ohio going winless in, in two of the past th- four seasons. Uh, so yeah, so Dalton gone. Let's move on to the, the big one. Let's go to the draft before we hit free agency. We'll tie all these quarterbacks together. Joe Burrow. I mean, this, this, it feels like this is the savior of Cincinnati. I, you know, it, it's hard. Fans in Cincinnati are fickle. I know everywhere fans are way more excited when the team's winning, but even with the last couple of playoff appearances, enthusiasm with the team kept going down because, you know, you lose three in a row. People were still high, and then that fourth one, fifth one, it starts to wear on the fans, and they started uh, – excitement was waning, and then you just had three straight losing seasons – or six four straight losing seasons. So it, it's really feels like it's hit rock bottom, but it feels like Joe Burrow is the guy that is coming in there, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're in Cincinnati. It feels like excitement's everywhere now. Like, he's single-handedly bringing this back. He really is.
2: It really is interesting. There's There is an excitement around the team – and and then the other part of it, they spent a lot of money in free agency, which they had never done. So on top of drafting Joe Burrow and the money spent there, there's a lot of excitement with the Bengals and it's 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 fun. And you consider from the standpoint when Andy Dalton and AJ Green were drafted, they were kinda of in the same boat. I mean they were Bengals were terrible. They had the third second or third or fourth pick of the draft that year. And they took them to the playoffs when I think ESPN, somebody predicted they were going to go 0-16. So this team is expected to even be better than the team was in 2011. And that, uh, you know, turned out pretty well in, in similar circumstances. So it's kind of interesting how this is all playing out. And at that time, there was a lockout. So you have disruption to your preseason. And yet it worked out then. And, and right now it seems to be, Everything I'm hearing about Burrow is they're they're excited and they're really impressed by the way he's taking over meetings and and how quickly he learns. He's already understanding protections. The guy's ahead of the game, and it's kind of exciting to see. It's different, right? It's exciting, uh, and we'll see where it heads.
1: Yeah, I think it's really crazy when you think about uh, the similarities between 2011. And the 2020 offseason, like you mentioned, there was a lockout in 2010 – The Bengals kind of hit rock bottom. They cratered. They went four and 12. That was the first time Marvin Lewis was thinking about leaving. They convinced him to come. That was when the Carson Palmer stuff went nuts because he said he wasn't going to play ever. He would rather retire than take, make $15 million from the Bengals. And people thought, you know what? Once the lockout's over, Carson Palmer will probably show up. He'll, he'll rethink this. He wants his paycheck, but they drafted Dalton anyway. Dalton didn't get an offseason. And like you said, someone predicted they would go 0 and 16. And then, you know, Dalton was a rookie quarterback, AJ Green, rookie wide receiver, kind of the Joe Burrow, T Higgins dynamic right there. And in 2011, they went nine and seven and, and made the playoffs. They had zero expectations going into the year. And I don't want to say this team has zero expectations because I think the expectations are a little bit higher. No one is going to be predicting the 2020 Bengals go 0 and 16. Uh, but you do have this, you know, there is no offseason here, but this is Joe Burrow's taking over to talented team. You know, they lost, uh, I think they, they, lost the most one score games in NFL history last year without winning a single one. They went 0 and 8. That was the most anyone's ever lost without winning one. Uh And so it tells you they do have the talent to stay in games and, and, you know, you played while there were strikes going on. So, you know, what's it like to not have, not be around your team, but still kind of have to stay in football shape and be ready to go at any point.
2: Well, that probably are uh, an 82 strike. We would get together, try and get together as much as we could as a team. Uh, 87, not so much. It was replacement players. It was, that was a different feeling. So you did whatever you could. Uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, you, you got to be resilient, right? You got to, you kind of go with the flow. And, uh, back in, the, in 2011, they were able to do that. And actually at that time, they even had a, a new coordinator. So they were bringing in a new offense with a new quarterback and a new wide receiver. At least this one they have, an offense that has been in place for a year. What they did have was a pretty good defense. Mike Zimmer-led defense was good, and that gave them some stability on that side of the ball. And I'm hopeful with all these draft with all these free agents they brought in, that they can build a better defense, one that played more like it did at the end of last season. You know, it's interesting. They didn't have Jonah Williams either. Their first pick from the previous season. So really it's like they got – Two first round picks here. So, you know, from that standpoint, AJ being out and, and some of the things people are, uh, you know, is he going to be healthy? Well, he was, he was doing stuff. The, I, I, I was talking to Dave Lapham. He talked about at the end of the season, they would always have AJ go out and, and do some workouts. They said the world, I think it was the second to last game or something. His workout was unbelievable. He said he watching him. He said the guy could have gone, but it was so late in the year they didn't want to. You know, even question that, you know, throw it out there. Why should he even be playing now? But as far as whether he was healthy, if he comes in like that, and he doesn't step on Drake or back to foot or do something crazy in the in training camp, I expect him to have a really good year. Well,
1: what do you think of the whole A.J. Green contract situation? Because I think that is part of this right now is that, you know, they hit him with a franchise tag. Do you think he's going to sign an extension or do you think – That, uh, he's, the Bengals are going to say, you know what? You you got this injury history. Let's, let's see what you do on this one year tag. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you next year.
2: Well, that's pretty much what they're doing. They're doing the one year tag and and it didn't make sense. I mean, I think most people out there, AJ's a smart guy. I'm sure he realizes from the standpoint that he's had so many injuries. It's hard to give a guy a long term contract. So let's, let's see what you do. And then you got Joe, but you have Joe Mixon too that's up soon. He wants to get paid. And then you got John Ross on last year of his contract. What if with all this stuff going on, what if he explodes like he's capable of doing and stays healthy, which he hasn't been able to do? You know, you got all these guys on offense potentially to want to get paid. You know, T. Higgins bringing T. Higgins in, in the second round might make that decision a little, bit, a little bit easier if he's able to play and do well. If they have to make a decision on whether it's AJ or jokes, I, I know they want AJ to finish his career in Cincinnati. Well, I'm sure the 49ers wanted Jerry Rice to finish his career in Cincinnati or the Green Bay Packers wanted Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, but sometimes – or even Joe Montana in in San Francisco. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Hopefully it does and it works out well. It's working out for the Arizona Cardinals. However, I don't know. But A.J.'s got to show that he's healthy before any decisions are made.
1: Yeah. We're a an healthy
2: season. How's that?
1: And, and I think one interesting thing with AJ Green is I know he had talked maybe he wouldn't show up to offseason workouts, uh, when they originally franchise tagged him. I think that's one of the things that because of the pandemic, work, it's, workouts, have, workouts, offseason workouts have been canceled. And so teams haven't had to worry about the blowback of disgruntled players skipping OTAs because there's no OTA, so it's kind of worked out in the favor of a team like the Bengals who don't have to deal with this A.J. Green blowback if he had not shown up. We don't know if that would have happened. And, and, you know, since we're talking about A.J. Green and T. Higgins, John Ross, let's talk about a couple of positional battles real quick. Uh You know, and I think that's the biggest one. We were talking before the podcast about where what is going to be the spot to watch when the Bengals go to training camp, and it does feel like it's at wide receiver. You know, they just brought in T. Higgins, they, they took him with a second-round pick. That's that comes with a lot of expectations. We don't know where A.J. Green is because he's coming off the injury, uh, and obviously Tyler Boyd had a huge year. And then, like you said, John Ross. What if he comes out and, and and has a fantastic training camp and looks good during the season? So, what do you? How do you think the wide receiver spot's going to shake out?
2: Well, and <coughs> one guy you can't forget. Or actually, there's a couple. Auden Tate came out and just did. Made some spectacular catches. Had over 40 catches, over 500 yards. Alex Erickson had over 500 yards receiving. So they really have a lot of depth at wide receiver. Uh, John Ross, to me, is an enigma. When he has played, well, for th- three games last year, he had a phenomenal three games. And that's pretty much been his whole career. So the guy has not been able to stay healthy. And I look back to the day he ran that 42240 at the combine. He pulled his hamstring and he ended up not being able to – and he hasn't been able to do anything since. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. So even last year we had played in what eight, nine or ten games because he missed several because of injury. And not necessarily – you can't control all that. But it's been – some guys seem to be able to not avoid the injury bug. And so far that seems to be him. If he stays healthy – uh, I, I, you know, it's hard to say. Do you go AJ? Do you go John Ross? Uh, what do you do? You, you've got all these, this depth. How do you, you probably can't play everybody. So will T. Higgins be spending some time on the sideline just because there's, you can't get out on the field. So they're going to have to come up with, they're going to have to come up ways to get guys involved and keep them all engaged. Cause sometimes I think if you're not getting the ball quick enough, uh, some guy some wide receivers kind of, lose interest, and then when they really need them, uh, they're not ready. So I don't know. The the wide receiver, it's going to be interesting, but it usually plays out. Guys, somebody gets hurt along the way, or if everybody's healthy, gosh, this offense could be kind of fun if the offensive line plays pretty well.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing you mentioned was you know, that they had four guys go over 500 yards last season. I mean, compare that to a team like the Packers who, you know, we think of Aaron Rodgers going back there and being the gunslinger. The Packers had one wide receiver go over 500 yards in 2019. That was Devontae Adams. Nobody else. The Bengals had four with John Ross, Alex Anders, Erickson, Auden and Tate, Tyler Boyd. And obviously you throw AJ Green in the mix. It does really feel like that the advantage of this is Zach Taylor is kind of do what he wants with the offense. If he, you know, if he wants to have three sets, you have enough guys, you want to have four wide receivers. If you want to empty the backfield and put five out there a few times. You have the talent to do that. There's not many teams that can punt out, yeah. you know, five guys who have gone over 500 yards in their career and all uh, are relatively good receivers, assuming they're all healthy. So I think it's interesting. And you mentioned the offensive line. uh, You know, if, there, that, you, that think was, he, you
2: think Aaron Rodgers would like to have any one of the four
1: or five receivers the Bengals have on their roster?
2: Yeah.
1: I, that's a great way to look at it. I think if you said, if you told Aaron Rodgers he could have the Bengals third or fourth receiver from last season, I think he would take it in an instant. And so yeah. that is how much depth the Bengals have at receiver. And you mentioned a big part of this is going to, uh, you know, the Bengals Achilles heel last year was the offensive line. And, and I think that they obviously. Tried to fix that during the offseason. Uh, you know, but they just struggled. That is the fact of the matter. They, uh, they brought in, uh, Xavier Suafilo, and, you know, he's probably going to be their starting right guard. But I think one spot that all the fans always want to talk about is Bobby Hart at right tackle. And I know they also signed Fred Johnson. Uh, you know, do you think Bobby Hart is the starter going into the season? You think Fred Johnson steals that spot? How do you think that shakes out? I think for whatever
2: reason, the Bengals are much higher on their offensive line than everybody else seems to be. Last season for the first eight games, Joe Mixon could barely get to the line of scrimmage. They were trying to run that zone blocking scheme that many teams like to run and started in Cincinnati with Jim McNally back in the eighties. And when they changed up, become becoming more of a man blocking, do a lot of using some of their athleticism pulling guys, getting out in space, all of a sudden the offense took over in the second, or the offensive line started to really open some holes and Mixon was the second leading rusher to Derrick Henry the second half of the season. So that, that's a positive that they can build on. As far as Bobby Hart, they like him. They always talk very positively about him. Watching this Fred Johnson, he, he actually let him play left tackle. He played a game and a half. He started the last game against the, the Browns and played really well. So he's very highly thought of. He's a young guy. He's he's mammoth, got long arms, big guy who moves really well. So I think Bobby Hart's your starter. I would not be surprised if Fred Johnson ends up taking over that spot during the season. And at the right guard position, you talked to Zuo Field, they picked up, and yeah, I think that's the expected starter there. He came from Dallas. It was the second-round pick with Houston. He's expected to start. Again, he's an athletic guy. He moves and, you know they're looking for guys that can move with some size, and uh, you know you got. And the good thing about Joe Burrow and I think and Andy Dalton, any any good any good quarterback can compensate for an offensive line that struggles a little bit to protect the passers. They get the ball away quickly. Andy Dalton did that, and I think Joe Burrow is certainly capable of that. And that's how Tom Brady would help his offensive. That's how these guys help their offensive lines is they get rid of the ball quickly. You got a lot of guys going to have a lot of guys running all over the field that have some ability. So and you got a, a running back that gets out of the backfield, catches the ball like a, lie, like a wide receiver. And then you got some tight ends that are, are good. They're not great, but they're uh, probably not going to be the focus of, of the passing game anyway.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, you know, a big part of this, they get Jonah Williams back. Like that left tackle spot is huge. He missed the whole, his whole rookie season with a knee injury. Uh And, and like that left side is pretty fortified with Michael Jordan at left guard. And, you know, the Bobby Hart situation is now they have that insurance policy. If he does struggle, you have Fred Johnson right there, where I think death was probably the biggest issue last year with the whole Cordy Glenn nonsense and and, and obviously Jonah Williams injury that, you know, they, they, it just eventually wore on them. And, and that line just, it, it wasn't great as it was. And if you don't right. have any death on a bad line, it's just going to get worse. So now it's there and it does, I, you know, I understand why they're optimistic about what they have. And now we mentioned, uh, Xavier Suafilo and and let's go back to free agency real quick because we kind of went from Andy Dalton leaving to the draft and, and skipped over free agency. The Bengals, look, the Bengals, when I go to Walmart 10 years ago, what I love to do is go to that $2 DVD bin and just find all the $2 DVDs because that's all I could afford. And that really felt like the Bengals' strategy in free agency for like the past <laughs> two decades. And this year, they opened up the checkbook and they went out and they made some big moves. Uh, you know, DJ Reader, I think, was probably the biggest one in my book, but they, they really fortified the secondary. How did you feel about what they did in free agency? What did you think was the biggest move? Uh, You know, give me your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think this kind of goes – you have to go back
2: to the 2015 draft because prior to that, the Bengals and – and even today, the Bengals have the second or third most players they drafted still in the NFL, not necessarily with them. So they have done a pretty good job of drafting in the past, and prior to 2015, they were in a pretty good. Because if you remember, they should have beaten the Steelers in the 2015 playoff game. Uh, they were really, and, and and that was with Dalton having a broken thumb and out of the game. If he play, if he stays healthy, I think they probably win that game before they, it goes to the end. But 2015 draft, they take uh, Oboihe and Fisher, one and two, offensive linemen. And from then on, their drafts have struggled. For whatever reason, it's struggled. And now they've got four years in of that, and they haven't gotten a lot out of their draft classes. And that's where some of these, this losing has occurred. Because right prior to that, they were talked about as being one of the best organizations in football. From their drafting, you know, all the way, they had good depth. And all of a sudden, it started to fall apart to get to the point where they are today. So, obviously, Zach Taylor has... Uh Mike Brown, Katie, uh, Troy Blackburns get he he has their ear. Uh and where I really saw that was the money they spent on defense. They decided the defense because they they almost turned over their whole defensive backfield. And you know, DJ Reader make him the highest paid defensive lineman or interior lineman. And that's huge. Uh they decided they want to win and I know Mike Brown would love to win a Super Bowl at some point in time, and the city would love to see that. But but that's where the excitement came in, the amount of money they spent there, where they spent the money there. When I look at the defense, terrible tackling. It's unbelievable how bad they were. And they brought in guys that could tackle. And really, if you think about it, teams move the ball on even good defenses, but typically they tackle them right away. The ball's caught, they're tackled. They don't get t- chunks of yardage in the defense that Cooper, Cooper Cup went for like 225 yards against the Bengals last year. There was nobody in the vicinity of him. So you and I, we all could have played defense that day yeah, that because was awesome. nobody was close to him anyway. So, <clears throat> excuse me, getting some guys that are in the right places, uh, bringing in Von Bell to play safety. Sean Wayne's a good player. That solidifies a, that, that, Spot on the field, but it also frees up. You know, Von Bell was really good. It was really good at the, close to the line of scrimmage, so you could have three safeties on the field at the same time. And actually, that's what Sean Williams did a lot for the Bengals last year. He played close to the line of scrimmage, so it allows its flexibility. When you talk about Bill Belichick, I mean they run different defense every week, and they got different personnel. And he likes guys that do your job and and can play multiple positions. And that's kind of what the Bengals are getting in place here. And you, know, you got. Excuse me. Sam Hubbard, who was a safety in high school and so he can really move around. He can play multiple things. So you got a lot of guys that have a position versatility, which can allow them to do some different things on defense and then hopefully make it difficult on the offenses.
1: Yeah. and, And, you know, obviously DJ Reader, I think DJ Reader, I think the Bengals now have probably Easily a top 10 defensive line in the NFL, and you could make the argument for a top five with Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap. Uh, you mentioned Sam Hubbard and, and throwing DJ Reader in there. That is a very, very strong defensive line. Uh, and we didn't mention Trey Waynes or Mackenzie Alexander, grabbing those two guys from the Vikings. You know, it's not like those guys are all pro corners, but they are better than what the Bengals had last season. It's, it's more depth. The secondary was a disaster last year, or really the linebackers were a disaster. Uh, which kind of set the stage, made things difficult for the secondaries, really what happened.
2: They they certainly had problems being on the same page. And the one thing, you get the two guys from Minnesota and Waynes and Alexander, they're coming from Mike Zimmer, coach defense. And if there's anything Mike Zimmer's about is your responsibility. Being They didn't, under him, there were a lot of mistakes made. And so that's what they're trying to get. These guys that are really you know, very accountable when it comes to what they're assignments are, everybody in the right place. And I think that's where you bring in a Von Bell, who can kind of pull all that together for the secondary. And you got Josh Bynes they bring in as a linebacker can do that. He he pretty much turned around the Ravens' defense last year when he came in, and their defense just turned it up a notch because all of a sudden they were stopping the run where they were struggling. So you get a guy at all levels that – can control what's going on. You got binds there, linebacker. You got Josh, you know, you got Von bell at the defensive backs in the safety position. I think you got all of a sudden now you've got some strengths at all positions, guys doing what they're supposed to do, not getting lost, not running sideways, running in the wrong position, you know, guys filling their, doing their job. And when guys do their job, then you have a chance to have a really solid defense. You don't have to have the most talent, just have the most cohesiveness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again with the Bengals free agency this year, fans are so conditioned to like check out for the first week and say, you know, I'll follow them At two weeks in the free agency when they're signing players in the third wave and all of a sudden you're getting these alerts on your phone like the Bengals signed someone the first day. Of fr- what is going on? This is uh it's the apocalypse and sadly it was the apocalypse. So, uh, interesting
2: it, it, interesting thing on reader which that blew me away was that he was almost in Denver and the Bengals pulled it out at the last minute. They took him away from Denver thought they had him signed. So wow, well, figure that one out. I mean, not only that, you go Denver who, you know, obviously it, it looks, it's a lot more positive situation than the Bengals that were in last year, but to take him from way from Denver and to get him here and he's, and he's excited about what's going on. So it's, it's a fun. It, it really is fun right now thinking about the Bengals. It's kind of a weird dynamic with nobody being able to really know what's going on with the pandemic. Nobody's there and you don't even know if you're if you're there going to be games to go watch or you are just going to watch on TV or there're even be games at all. So all that is uh throws it's just a lot of questions that make you know make it kind of fun.
1: Yeah, which is not a word that Bengals fans have been using. <laughs> a lot over the past four years. Now, one other thing that happened this offseason, I think that it, it kind of got blown over just because of everything that's happened is, you know, Sam Weish died. This is Sam Weish led the Bengals to Super Bowl 23. He was the coach there uh, from 84 to 91. And, uh, you know, one of the most innovative minds in NFL history. He is the man who brought the no huddle offense to the NFL. He's the man who gave his uh, assistant coaches the freedom to kind of be as creative as possible. My dad mentioned that uh Jim McNally introduced uh, the zone running scheme to the NFL, something that is just everywhere today. Dick LeBeau brought the zone blitz to the NFL uh, while working as the Bengals defensive coordinator under Sam Weiss. So that was a team – that, that really kind of set the foundation for the modern NFL that we see today. And that was because of Sam Weish. Uh, you know, obviously you played for him every season that he was a coach in Cincinnati. So just tell me a little about, you know, your memories of that and, and what kind of guy he was. Sam was a great guy, great guy,
2: uh, funny, very smart. He was a magician. He actually taught, uh, taught Lou Holtz how to do magic because he, so when he go out and speak and, so Sam was a unique guy, and uh, <clears throat> unbelievably, he loved Paul Brown, and he wanted to be innovative. So well, he learned from Paul Brown and Bill Walsh. So those two were two of the most innovative guys that have ever been around the NFL. So he wanted to be that guy. And, uh, you know, if you watch teams now when there's a timeout called, and the whole team comes over and talks to the coach. That was Sam. Cause prior to that, all of it was one guy, the captain went over and talked to the coach. He would come back and relay it. Sam brought the whole, the whole offense together. So it all was first person. You didn't hear it from the second person. If you ever watch teams that put their benches in a V on the sidelines, that was Sam Weiss feeling that if I'm standing in the middle of this V, everybody's equidistance from me if we had a straight line, the guys at the end may not be able to hear me, particularly if you're in a loud stadium. So he was really innovative that way. And then certainly the no huddle. And that really came about uh, more so to keep teams off the field uh, from changing. So we wanted to change our, <clears throat> if we wanted our personnel on the field, on a third down, we had certain personnel that we'd like to leave on the field and they want to bring in, you know, their, their nickel guy or whatever. So they would do, they called the sugar, sugar huddle. They'd They'd huddle close to the line of scrimmage or stand there and just wait and see what's going on. If they were running guys on and off, they'd run the, they'd run a play really quickly and always catch, you know, get the five yards. And that was kind of how the no huddle started. And it evolved from there that season to the point where we used it more often. And then Buffalo took it to the K gun with Jim Kelly and took it to four straight Super Bowls, but it was so different at the time. That the league tried to have Sam not—they—they they were gonna—we're gonna ban it. I tried so they, to outlaw the AFC championship yeah. game. They were gonna ban our no huddle because uh, the coach in Buffalo, uh, Marv Levy. Marv, Bre- Marv Levy was making such a stink about it that he would say it was unfair. You don't get a chance to get lined up, and blah 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 blah, and to the point where they. Paul Brown got involved. Uh, Bob Trump, he heard about it, called Sam, gave him a heads up that this was happening. And there was such a stink made about it that they didn't they didn't do it. And, you know, the rest is history. And you know, we were able to take it to the Super Bowl. And, you know, it's just, uh, Sam was an interesting guy. And, you know, he would get kind of going sideways at times. I remember our 90-91 season, we were having a poor year. It turned out to be his last year. And he comes in one day and he throws, he throws a newspaper down back in the days of newspapers. He goes, can you believe what they're writing about us? And then he says, and then Andy Furman on, can you believe what he's saying on radio and TV? Don't even watch TV because they're just ripping us. So he's sitting there. He's in front of this meeting like guys, I don't want you. You pay no attention to the media. None. I don't want you guys looking at anything, seeing anything, listening to anything. Okay, coach. (laughs) <laughs> he comes in the next day. He's got a newspaper. He fires it down on the table. He goes, did you, you know, it? can you imagine what Andy Furman's saying? Did you see what they wrote about us? We're all kind of looking like, coach, you told us not to read or listen to that stuff. <laughs> oh, that's right. I did, didn't I? <laughs> Sam was interesting. He was, um, you know, he thought it was unfair to have women in the locker room. It didn't feel right. It wasn't right to have women in the locker room. So we go to Seattle for a Monday night game, and he this this lady reporter was there. He ends up having her go outside, and he, he and Boomer. He says, "Who do you want to talk to?" You know, obviously you want to talk to Boomer. So I'll send Boomer out. And Boomer standing there with everybody was around him, and they would literally take Boomer and send him out to this uh, woman reporter, and she's like, "No, this isn't this isn't happening." So he gets called on the carpet. You know, yes, the league office is almost going to suspend him, and we're in, we're staying in Seattle. And so Seattle, and then we we fly out to to L.A. He doesn't think he's going to coach the game, so we end up coaching the game. We end up winning the game in overtime, and come in the locker room, everybody's excited. And and the way the locker room was set up, the press conference was just off to our right, and Sam shows up. He walks up. He's got a towel on to prove his point, right? Women in the locker room—it's very uncomfortable. He's got a towel on, and he's standing. And he whips the towel off. He's wearing a pair of gray shorts. He goes, "Were you? What were you going to think? You didn't. That was a little uncomfortable. and This is the way it is. It shouldn't be. Obviously, that's changed with time." Sam was—he was unique and and different and funny and and wacky, wacky probably was <laughs> appropriate at times for him. He was just an interesting guy. Interesting guy who was unbelievably creative and uh you know he made he made it fun to you never knew what you're gonna you never knew what to expect with Samurai I can tell you that.
1: Yeah, he definitely stood his ground. I think he ended up getting fined, not suspended by the NFL for uh not allowing female reporters in the locker room. And by the way, that whole that that set when the Seattle Seahawks game in Seattle on that Monday night, uh People think they get hit with bad schedules. The Bengals had to play five straight road games that season, and that game in Seattle was the start of it. Played at Seattle, at Los Angeles, at Houston, at Cleveland, at Atlanta. Uh, now three road games is the max, So, and, and that's five. So it's kind of crazy. But back to Weiss real quick, I will say there's two stories that you have told me kind of throughout my childhood that kind of stuck with me. And then, you know, Sam probably on the wrong side of history with the female reporter thing. But I think one part where he was on the right side of history is that, you know, you you I think you told me once that he really wanted to see positive race relations in the locker room uh and, you know, especially with everything that's going on right now in the civil unrest and, and what we had happen in Minnesota is that he wanted, you know, all his black guys on the team and the white guys on the team to kind of be best friends. And he was all about that team chemistry. And, you know, you can take it from there and just –
2: well, I think to back up, or that was the '88 season. So '87 season was a terrible year for us. We go five and eleven. Sam and Boomer get into it over us sitting in front of a bus. Him sitting in front of a bus, and they're in the newspapers going back and forth. I mean, like little kids. Paul Brown had to step in and tell Sam to stop talking to the, the newspapers. It, it was ridiculous. So, on that note, we come to the '88 season, and he decided he was going to have a black guy and a white guy and and an offensive defense too. So it wasn't just your, you want it, because a lot of times the offense kind of does their thing. The defense does their things and you don't have a lot of, inter you know, intermixing at that. But now he did it from offensive defense too. So you had an opportunity to get uh, from a racial standpoint and from a position standpoint to get to know guys. And to this day, he talked to guys. They think it was one of the greatest things that he did. I mean, guys, We already had a pretty close team as it as it was. I ended up with Eddie Brown as my roomie, and and Eddie would say two words the whole time. And then when we had the 50th anniversary a couple years ago, I see him goes, "Roomie, how you doing, buddy?" And I'm like, "This is more words you said to me." And the whole thing goes, "I know. I was always tired. I just wanted to sleep." So it worked out great. I mean, some of the guys have really. I mean, it it really opened up opportunities and conversation. I think that you don't normally get. And from that standpoint, it was great. And we were a very close team that year and it, it showed. I mean, we go all the way to the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah. And uh, it's funny that Eddie Brown was your, uh, roomie because, you know, Eddie Brown at that time, he's in his mid twenties enjoying NFL life. On the other hand, you're like 33, you have six kids, you're probably <laughs> telling him about dad life. And he's just like, man, I don't care, but I'm going to bed. I don't need to hear <laughs> yeah. about the kids. All the kids. That was pretty much, that
2: was pretty much with Eddie. He was just saying, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep.
1: That's hilarious. And then another Sam White story I, I love because it really takes you back to kind of the glory days of the NFL when coaches hated each other. And, you know, like, I know that Belichick is probably the closest thing we still have where you know there are teams he doesn't like. You know, they didn't trade with the Jets for 20 years until they finally made a deal. You know, he has that passive aggressiveness, uh, but it's not as vocal anymore. And so one of my favorite rivalries was Bengals-Oilers, and Jerry Glanville, the coach of the Oilers, Sam Weiss, they hated each other. So 1989, the Bengals and the Oilers are playing each other. The Bengals are winning this game 58 to seven, 58 to seven. And Weish calls a timeout with under a minute left so that they can, Bengals can kick a field goal. <sighs> To cross the sixty-point mark. I mean, this is not. This is running up the score. This is this. This crosses every. Off the charge. Season.
2: You're right. You're right. And
1: so my dad has to go out and kick this field goal with under a minute left in the fourth quarter, uh, with his team up fifty-eight to seven. Tell me, like, just what was that whole situation like?
2: I was embarrassed. <laughs> I was embarrassed to go out and do that. But Sam, just to back up a little bit, we we on onside kicked like five times in that game. They had an alignment that left a, a gap between the like the twenty and thirty. And we were just on site kicking. We I think we recovered like two or three of them. So we kept on site kicking. We were up over fifty points and we were on site kicking. So it was nuts. So you get out there and he calls timeout and I go out and Brian Blatos comes and goes, Hey Breacher, watch your back, man. They are pissed. They are pissed. So I and then in the afterwards. Somebody was interviewing Sam and he goes, Jerry Glanville, that he's a despicable human being. So I don't, I don't know, but I did, I did in 2004. I went to Iraq and visited the troops and Jerry Glanville was on that trip <laughs> and, I, and he didn't hate Sam. That was the thing. Sam hated Jerry, but Jerry didn't hate Sam. I said, coach, what is it? Tell me, what is it? What is it that Sam hates about you so much? He goes, I don't know. I know, he goes, the only thing I can think of is I was coaching quarterbacks for the Detroit Lions and Sam was one of the quarterbacks. I had to cut him. He goes, that's the only thing I can possibly think that would make, would anger him. But so we, he loved to – gosh, he loved beating Jerry Glanville. It was unbelievable. He just had a, literally a hatred for, for the man. And, and if we could have scored a hundred, we'd have scored a hundred that day.
1: Yeah. And to, uh, tail off that story, you did make the kick. The Bengals got to 61. To this day, that is the most points they've ever scored in franchise history in a single game. And, and as for your onside kick story, I'm, I'm reading the, the, the post, the, the story from the New York Times from 1989. Boomer Assisen throws a 74 yard pass in the third quarter to Tim McGee that puts the Bengals up 45 to nothing. The Bengals follow up with an onside kick up 45 to nothing. They recover it score a touchdown to go 52 to nothing. So that is the total insanity of, uh the, you know, Sam Walsh's wild character. And I will say, you know, you mentioned a lot about him, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, we already talked about how innovative he was. He led the Bengals to the last playoff win in 1990, that January 6th game against the Oilers, uh, ironically enough. And, you know, you were the last Bengals player to score a point in a Bengals playoff win. Did you know that? I did because you, you wrote about that a couple of years ago. Otherwise, and
2: you told me I had no idea. I had no idea that was the case. And that's really unfortunate, isn't it? I think the Bengals are the last team to go farther back than any other team as far as winning a playoff game. I think Buffalo's in 92 or something, a year after, a couple of years after, after their run of, of uh, Super Bowls. I don't think they've won one since. So that's that's one I think that I'd like to see (laughs) him overcome at some point in time. You know, from a trivia standpoint, there's two of us, myself and Anthony Munoz, are the only guys to have played in every Bengal playoff win. Well,
1: that's That's a good one. I didn't have that. That that is crazy. Um, Yeah, and
2: that goes way – that's too far back, too. I mean, it's just the whole thing. They've they've got – they're going to turn – I feel they're going to turn it around. I believe they're going to turn it around.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully, because I think fans have waited long enough that that win came in January, 1991. You mentioned the Bills. That is the third longest playoff win. The Detroit Lions haven't won one since the 1991 season. And then the Browns haven't won one since the 94 season when Belichick was their coach. Uh, so there have been, there, there are a couple droughts, but those are the only three teams in the NFL that not have, have not won a playoff game this century. The Bengals, Lions, Bills, and Browns. Not a, not, not an ideal list. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dad, we are going to take a quick break, and then <clears throat> we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the playoffs. We're going to talk about what the ceiling is for the Bengals in 2020, what the floor is. Could they win a playoff game, or could they end up with the number one pick all over again? Uh, let's take a quick break.
0: The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance,
1: talking about the Bengals, what they've done this offseason. Uh, they have a new quarterback. There is some hype with this team. Everyone in Cincinnati is excited. Dad, how excited should they be? We're going to talk about what we think the team's maximum potential is, uh, but what's their for? How bad could they be if things go wrong? Could it end up like last season? So I'll start. Let's start on a high note here. What do you think? The ceiling is for the Bengals. The team that can surprise people and get to the playoffs, or is maybe just getting to five hundred, should be what they the Ceiling.
2: The ceiling to me is is the playoffs. Um, and I, I, from the standpoint of they have a solid offensive nucleus to begin with, and there's a lot of teams out there who love to have two thousand yard wide receivers, a thousand yard rusher, and there aren't many of them. The the drawback being that you have a rookie quarterback, however. He seems to be pretty exceptional. He's and if he plays pretty well, I think they have a chance. I think their offense is going to be really good and the changes they made on defense I think they've really solidified the defense, made them very tough. Uh the difficulty is difficulty thing is that the AFC North is really good and they could be really good this year and, you know, win five or six games, but I think the ceiling is is the playoffs, because there's always a few teams that don't do as well as you expect, and there's always teams that do better. Uh, I, I don't see there's any chance of them being in the first pick again. I think they're, uh, they're too good for that. They're really a pretty talented team, uh, but they just have to stay healthy, and that's true with anybody, and they, that's really, really struggled the last few years is their health. They've lost a lot of key players, and their depth just hasn't worked out.
1: So, in your most optimistic projection, what is their final win total for 2020?
2: Optimistic nine. Like two, I'm going to go back to 2011, similar circumstance, young guys, and they won nine games. I'm going to say nine.
1: That team did go nine and seven. So, all right. Opposite side of the spectrum. What is your most pessimistic prediction for this season? What, what, if just the wheels fall off the wagon, uh, how many wins does team end with? Five. Oh, I think they're they're over under in uh
2: five and a half, over, right?
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's right there. And if you think that's the worst case, uh you know that's I do. A, a lot of wiggle room. I, I think
2: they're I think they're pretty good. Uh and again, I mean they, they they've lost they lost play. They they at one point about three games in the season, they were starting their fourth tack- left tackle. Fourth I mean teams don't even carry four tack four yeah. left tackles. <laughs> They had to bring somebody in just to be able to play tackle for him. So from that standpoint, you got Jonah Williams and he's always been a healthy guy and he hurt his shoulder. If he, you know, comes back and stays healthy, uh, I think that's going to make a huge difference. Age uh, and AJ. So those two, two guys that can make a world of difference for that offense.
1: Yeah. And for me, I think a big part of this, because I do agree with them, I think their ceiling is the playoffs. You do have surprise teams that come out of nowhere. And the Bengals, you know, I mentioned that 0 and 8 record and one score games. Literally NFL one score games are a coin flip. It's where one thing goes against you and to have it happen eight times. You know, if you just win 50% of those one score games, all of a sudden the Bengals are a six and 10 team. Uh, well, then they don't have Joe Burrow, but that's a different story, but it, yeah. it is. So the talent is there and now they, they upgrade at the quarterback position. So it's how fast can they adjust? And I really think, you know, this season, whether or not they get to, eight or nine wins comes down to the first two weeks of the regular season because they play the Chargers and the Browns, and I think those are two very winnable games. I think they could come out of that 2-0, and but they could come out of that 0-2, and I don't think anyone would be surprised. Uh And so it, it really – you have two winnable games to open your season. If you win them both, all of a sudden everybody in that locker room is believing in Joe Burrow, is believing in this revamped defense, and maybe you ride that wave two, nine wins. So I think that, uh, you know, I don't want to deflate every fan season if they come out of the gate, starting going to and, and lose games like 30 to 27 and in 24, 21 or something. Uh, but I think that that's it right there. Those are the two key games. I don't think that for every team, you know, obviously you want to get out of the gate fast, but I think with mm-hmm. a young quarterback uh, and a revamped defense, you want to prove right away that, Hey, we're not last year's bangles. We're not the bangles that people have been beating up on for the past four years. Uh, we're, you know, we're the New Look Bengals. We can get to the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I look at the chart the Chargers game. They're probably a little bit similar to the Bengals, and they had some injuries last year, and they had four wins. Um, the difference is they they're not going to have Phillip Rivers. They're going to have Jacoby Brissett, I would imagine, starting the first game. Now Justin Herbert might end up doing that later. And their defense is getting some guys back, so they're going to be really strong in some areas. They're going to be better than what I thought. I think what they were last year. And I think Cleveland, just some stability at, at head coaching, I think is going to make a huge difference because they've got a lot of talent. So yeah, they need to get out. I think you always want to get out into a quick start, but there's going to be games won that are going to be unexpected. You just, it happens every year. And then when you win some games unexpectedly, then you start building some confidence. And I think you can, you you can kind of piggyback on that because I know our two Super Bowl teams, we weren't, we come off losing seasons, but yet yeah, we gained some confidence early with some wins and then we kind of built from there.
1: Yeah. And, and mentioning that is another thing that maybe gives Bengals fans some hope. The, uh, the 1980 Bengals went six and 10, turned around and went to the Super Bowl the next year in the 1981 season going 12 and four. The 1987 Bengals, that was a strike year, went four and 11, uh, then turned around. The next year we went 12 and four, kind of similar that we saw the 49ers do the past two seasons. They are horrible record in 2018, made the Super Bowl in 2019. So definitely something that's possible. Dad, I thank you for coming and talking to some Bengals football. I mean, this is what we do anyway in all our text messages. So now <laughs> we're just, we're just switching forums here. Uh, so happy early Father's Day. Thanks so much for coming on and hopefully, uh, we'll have you on again in January after the Bengals in their playoff drought.
2: That would be outstanding, and
1: happy Father's Day to you, too. All right, see you guys. Check out the podcast thread for uh, your surprise NFC North team that we've done later today.